Good morning. Welcome. Glad for all of you that are here, and, and welcome to all of you that join us online as well. Uh, you are a part of the church as well, uh, whether you're here or online. Uh, we've had some good news this week. I don't know if you caught it, but with the governor, uh, our county is actually moving into to phase two, uh, which opens up some things a little bit, and we're excited about that. Not a whole lot, but a little bit. But I do also want to just kind of, before I get started, remind you um, that, that even as things are loosening, we need to continue to wear our masks. Uh, we need to continue to practice social distancing. Uh, we're excited about the fact that we're getting closer, um, and it looks like, you know, eventually we're going to be able to uh, get back to some sort of normal. Uh, but we don't want anybody to get sick right at the end. That would be a huge tragedy if someone got sick just before all this was over. Um, and so I want to just encourage you to continue uh, to, to wear masks, and let's be faithful to the end until they tell us we can take them off, and then maybe we can have a giant, like, burning out in the grass or something. I don't know. That sounds like fun? Sounds like fun to me anyway. So um, we've been in this sermon series called Taking Responsibility for What You Have. And we've been talking about just kind of handling the things that God has put into our lives uh, in responsible kinds of ways. Um, and today, this is the, the last one. We're going to kick off a new uh, sermon series next week about God's favor in our lives and how that protects our witness. But today, you're going to get to hear me preach to myself. And you can kind of listen in on this one, because we're going to hit at what my struggle is and where I uh, grapple with things. And everybody has areas that, that they struggle with and areas that they do better at, right? You know, you all have your area of weakness or certain things. So what we're going to talk about today may not apply to you. Um, if that's not the case, just, you know, you can laugh at me with my struggles uh, with all this. But this is, is right where I, I, I'm, I'm at uh, in, in my own life. Uh, as well. And so what we're going to talk about is uh, acting responsibly uh, with your words. I'm going to slide this over here just a little bit. If I mess up our uh, stuff, I'm sorry about that. Um, and, and again, this is uh, the, one of those things that it just, it impacts everybody in, in some sort of way, because we all use words uh, in, in one way or another. Uh, and, and because of that, Scripture talks about this a lot. Like, all over Scripture, it talks about how we use our words. If you do a search of Scripture and you include mouth and tongue and words, uh, it's just everywhere Jesus was, was talking about this. So I take comfort from that because that means I'm not the only one who struggles with how I use my words and using them in a, in a biblical way that other people uh, do this uh, as well. Um, and so uh, we're going to kind of jump into how, how God would want us to do this um, in, in our lives. And so here, there's some lessons, some things I've learned along the way painfully because I've used words in ways that, that I, I probably shouldn't always. Uh, so I just want to kind of get us started by thinking about this a little bit. And one of the things I know for sure, words are the most powerful thing in the world. The, the most powerful, you think about everything great that happens, it starts with somebody has an idea and they share that idea with somebody else with words, Right? And, and, and maybe out of that, they share it with other people, and then they begin to recruit people, and you use words to recruit people, and then you kind of lay out plans, and you use words to lay out and describe the plans, uh, and then you kind of, you know, encourage people along the way, and you help them, and it's all about words, and people build great things with, with words, you know? It, words are just so incredibly powerful. They bring all kinds of wonderful things uh, in, into being. But, but the other side is true as well. Words can be used to be enormously destructive. 
One of the things that, that if you kind of look back at history, I'm a fan of history and I, I like the History Channel, is that, that many of the, the most destructive people in the history of the world were enormously good orators. Adolf Hitler was an excellent orator. He moved people. They wanted to be with it. You know, he used words in a destructive way. And so words are powerful, whether you use them for good or, or whether you use them uh, for, for evil. You know, and, and even, even you think about in, in our own lives, just this morning, the, the words. When we sing, we are basically music or words set to music, Right? And, and there's power in the, the words that we sing. And, and Kramer's careful about picking songs that have good theology in them and, and talk about that. And so words are just so super, super important. In fact, Scripture uh, describes it like this. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And that should stop you right there in your tracks. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. And I think this probably means both positively and negatively. When you use words in, in really good ways, good things happen. When you lose wor- use words in bad ways, uh, bad things sort of happen. And, and so I, I just, there's this, this hard truth that's, that comes with this morning. Your words can destroy in a few seconds what took years to build. Okay? I, I mean, I've experienced this uh, in, in my own life where I, I won the argument with a friend and lost the friend. You know, so I'm telling you, I'm speaking out of my own kind of thing. I was captain of the debate team. I've been trained in philosophy and theology, and I'm good with words, and I, and I like all of those sorts of things. But sadly, when I use them in poor ways, they're very, very destructive. And, and honestly, the, 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 the meat of that destruction, the way I know that's destructive, is to this day, I don't remember what the argument was about, but I remember that I don't have that friend anymore. You get what I'm saying? There's a, there's a warning in here. And sometimes I hear people say, talk is cheap. And I, I get what they're understanding. There needs to be action involved. But in my experience, t- talk is expensive. Very expensive when it's destructive talk. It can cost you relationships. It can cost you uh, friendships. It, it, it's hard. And, and, and it can do so much damage. And, and honestly, talk is hard work even in relationships. I think guys, especially for us, it, I, I, I say to couples in premarital counseling all the time, um, uh, marriage is work, and I'm not talking about taking out the trash, right? What I'm talking about is that being transparent with your spouse and being honest and finding words to say what you need to say and, and all that. It's just, it's, words are so, so important. And when we're irresponsible with them, bad things happen. When we use them well, good things happen. And so I just kind of want to take just a shot at a couple of the excuses, you know, that sometimes people use. The number one excuse I hear when people say something that is destructive in someone else's life is this, but it's the truth. Now, there's a built-in assumption in there that most people don't think about very much, and that is that you know what the truth is that you are the arbiter of truth. And when, in fact, the only one who actually knows all the truth is God. I don't know about you, but I've had a couple of times in my experience where I thought something about somebody, and I was really persuaded, and I was tempted to go tell them what I thought, and I'd straighten them out and help them out. And later on, I'd find out there was more to the story that I didn't know about. And I'm like, I am so glad I didn't say that. I, I, as a pastor, I've seen this. I've seen the things there's conflict in the church, and someone comes to me and da 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 da. And because that person has talked to me in private in my office, and I can't share what was said, I know stuff about the situation they don't. And I just want to look them in the eye and say, "You're just wrong. You don't know what you're talking about." 
You think you know what you're talking about, but honestly, you don't have all the facts. You don't understand the backstory. You don't understand other things that are going on in, in all of this. And so when you use the excuse to hurt someone that it's the truth, you jolly well better be right because you're kind of claiming God's spot in all of that. It's the truth. It's the truth. I understand all the facts. I know everything there is to know. It's the truth. And then there's the other side of it. Let's assume for a minute that you are right. Scripture instructs us to speak the truth in love. Yeah. It doesn't say you just get to speak the truth. You got to speak the truth in love. And so we know that how you say it matters, right? How you say what you say matters, even especially, especially if you have to speak hard truths into somebody's life. And I'll bet all of you have experienced people who are good or not good at speaking hard truth into people's lives. Most of you know I was in the marketplace for 15 years before I became a, a senior pastor. Um, and so I worked for a lot of people. And in my particular situation, I worked for a lot of people. I got moved around a, a lot. And so I worked for a lot of different bosses. And I discovered that, that different bosses have different ability in this area. And I had a couple of bosses that really, really knew their stuff. But when they would correct people, they would just tick them off and make them mad, and they'd belittle them, and make them feel less, and we lost some really good people for that. And then on the other end, there were some people who were extraordinary. My last boss I worked for, who really became kind of a, a mentor for me, he was really good at that. He had this way of telling you what you were doing wrong, and make you walk away feeling good about it. Oh, hey, yeah, man, now I can be better at it. And he attracted people to himself, and he'd, he'd been way up in the company and decided to come back at the end of his career because he just got tired of the politics up there. And, and, and I, I could see why he had been so successful. Why? Because he knew how to speak the truth in love. Okay? He knew how to, how, to, how to do that. And, and so I, I just want us to be really careful with that, that truth kind of thing. Okay? The other one that I hear, maybe the next most popular uh, one I hear is, I didn't mean to. I didn't mean, well, that says a couple of things. Number one, you didn't really understand the situation. And number two, that is a one-time use excuse. Maybe once you swing and miss, but after that, you knew that potentially that was hurtful and you don't get to use it anymore. So let's look at the scripture this morning and kind of dig into this and see what it has to teach us. And then we'll make some application. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4, uh, verse 29. Uh, and, and this is uh, the Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus. Uh, and, and he's been talking to them about unity because there's been a lot of division in the church. And there's been a lot of struggles uh, at Ephesus, and, and his, his protege, Timothy, is the pastor there, uh, and so he's kind of talking to them about how to bring it together, uh, and he gets down to where he's going to talk a, a, about words on uh, this, and he, and he says these, these words. This is so good. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. How many of you have heard that before? You grew up in your church, your mom said that to you when you swore, right? Okay. But only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that may benefit those who listen. So let me run through this. Do not let any, any unwholesome, we'll talk about that word, talk, come out of your mouths, and we'll talk about the word mouths, but in, in, instead of that, instead of letting unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, instead of doing that, do this. Don't do that, do this. But only what is helpful for building, that's an important word, others up, according to their needs, that, may, that it may benefit those who listen. Okay, let's say this together, because this is such a good verse. Okay. 
Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Okay? Now, most of us associate the first part of this verse with cursing. If you grew up in the church, that's, that's, I remember hearing this when I was a kid. If somebody, you know, would let a curse word out, uh, someone would, would quote the first part of it. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Okay? The church lady would kind of get you with all of that. And most of my life, I grew up thinking, yep, this is about don't, don't swear, don't use curse words uh, in life. And, and the, the difficulty with, with that is that that's not what this is about. That's actually not at all what this is about. In fact, cursing and swearing, what we think of as those kinds of things, those are actually probably not spiritual issues. They're issues of politeness and getting along in society and not being crude and and a a lot of those sorts of things. But they're culturally defined, right? Because, you know, what one person thinks is a swear word, another person doesn't. So, for instance, I, 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 many of you know I preached in a multicultural church for a long time, and I used to, I liked self-deprecating humor, and I used to like to say, boy, I was being really stupid, you know, and then after a time of doing that, one of the cultural groups came up to me and said, you got to stop saying that, pastor. You're swearing in the pulpit. I'm like, what am I saying? They said, stupid, because in their culture, stupid was a swear word, Okay. So you, didn't, you just didn't do that. It was just culturally defined. It didn't, you know, in our culture, it didn't make any difference. My mom, my mom grew up on a farm in south, uh, southwest Missouri, uh, and, and she was a farm girl all of her life, uh, and, and they used words to describe what went on around the farm, uh, and they had a particular word that they used to uh, describe or to name what comes out of chickens, and I'm not talking about the eggs. Got me? Okay. You know, and it was a word that began with S. <laughs> and it wasn't a curse word. It's just that that's what it was. Uh, and then she grew up and became a nurse, and she went and lived in the city. And one day in church, they got to talking about chickens, and she was frustrated with the mess that chickens make. And she said she talked about the chicken getting everywhere, right? And a little old church lady's like, oh, you're swearing, and in God's house, no less. And she's like, what? What did I say? You know, it was it was... She didn't, you know, so she's like, okay, I don't think that's a swear word, but we'll, you know, for you. So that, 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 that's really actually f- small stuff. Can we, can we just agree to most of that? It's crude. It's not nice. It's not polite, you know, but, but that's not what this is talking about. So let me break this verse down for you uh, a little bit as to what this is really getting at. The first part is kind of the negative side. Acting responsibly means never using words as weapons. And this is way more than a little curse word that slips out. This is a really, really big deal in the body of Christ. Much more than than the occasional swear word. Using words as weapons is when we use words to hurt people in some sort of way. When, When we attack them or we belittle them or we diminish them or we call them names or we, we use them to defend ourselves in some sort of way that damages them. In fact, the word unwholesome that we were talked about, the word actually means rotten or putrefied. Have you ever smelled like an animal that's, that's gone bad, you know, like a, come up on a deer or something in the, in the woods, and it's like, oh, my goodness. And besides that, why do dogs like to roll in dead deers? Can someone explain that to me? That, uh, we had a golden, when I was growing up, he had access to the woods, and he, she'd come back every so often, and, oh, man. You know, that, that's, that's what's being talked about, putrefied, not, not just off-color or, or impolite, but 
putrefied kinds of things, uh, to imply worthlessness in, in somebody. This, this kind of language, when you direct this at somebody, this is abusive. This is a, it's damaging. It's an attack on a person. It includes gossip would be a, a part of this. When we, God, we talk about someone behind their back and we, we run them down. And, and that, that, you get that? You get how important this is? When we, when we turn this verse into being about swear words, we really take the power out of it because it's about so much more th- than that. And we kind of need to get past it. I, I've been in the church a long time, and I've seen people that were horrified that someone would let out a little bit of a swear word in church while they were gossiping about that person behind their back. See the problem with that? <laughs> that this, this, this is so important that we get it. In fact, the word for mouth, the word for mouth, one of the Greek uses for that was to refer to the sharp edge of a sword. And so the image that's drawn in in this passage, and I've told you scriptures often, uh, pictorial theology, it draws images, uh, is the idea that that our mouth can be like a sword that cuts somebody. And in the ancient world, a sword was like the most powerful weapon. It's like a super machine gun. Because most people didn't have access to metal back then, and, and they certainly didn't have access to figure out how to sharpen a sword. I don't know if you know this, but it was a great state secret for a long time how to actually sharpen a, a sword. And so to have a sharp sword was like a, a big deal. And, and, and they say that the picture that's drawn here is when you use your words to, to hurt people, to attack people, it's like, like cutting them with, with, with a sword. Most of us would never point a gun at people, but sometimes we point our mouth at people and we shoot it off. I think that's where the expression shooting off your mouth may, may have come from. And So just let me say here, followers of Jesus are held to a higher standard. I know we live in a world where people are constantly talking bad about each other and belittling each other and calling each other names. That is not for you if you are a follower of Jesus. That is not what we are, are called to do. In fact, I love this picture in Psalm 141. It says, set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. And again, the picture here I get, I get this idea of this little angel guard at the side of my mouth, kind of watching stuff come up, you know, and it's about to go out through my mouth. Go, whoa, 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 stop that stuff right there. That's not supposed to, you let that out, it'll be bad stuff. Send that back, send that back, you know. And my mouth is kind of the door to the, to the rest, rest of the world. You all got that image in your mind? Set a guard over my mouth. <laughs> Boy, the psalmist struggled with words, okay? Keep watch over the door of my lips. Don't let anything pass my lips that might be harmful to me. And then the other side of this, this is the funner part, uh, acting responsibly um, means using words to add value to people so that they walk away from you better than when they came to meet you or when they connected you up. And in fact, the, um, the, the scripture passage talked about building others up. That's a really powerful, beautiful image uh, about the idea that, that you and I are buildings and God is building us. In fact, he talked about the church, which is the people, right? Not the building. And he is the cornerstone. He's the one that we build on. So your lives are built on the cornerstone of Christ and the truth of the gospel and the good news of the gospel. And God is continuing to build. And in the ancient world, we think, we think of bricks, but in the ancient world, it probably would have been rocks, right? That they would pile on. They'd use some stuff to kind of hold them together and you have to cut the brick, you know, that sort of thing. And so, so the image here is, is that, that we are to use words to build one another up, to make one another more into what Christ intended us to be. So that, so that when people walk away from us, they should walk away more like Jesus than when they met us. Isn't that a cool thing? Get this. You get to partner with Christ in making people into the image of Jesus. 
Somebody say amen, because that's a pretty good gig. You know, you get to be a part of what God is doing in other people's lives. And Jesus was doing this constantly. He, he walked away, everybody who connected with him walked away feeling much better and much closer to God after they had been with him. He used words to heal them. He, he, he said things like, be healed. Let me tell you, if you're sick and I've been sick with a deadly cancer and you hear the words be healed, those are good words. Those are words that add value to your life. Or your sins are forgiven. Or stand up and walk. You know what the exception was? The people he talked bad to? Religious hypocrites. Yeah, that one always hits close to me because I'm pretty religious. So the potential for being a religious hypocrite is much greater in my life than the guy down on the street that doesn't even profess God. He's not a hypocrite, not even in the closest. Jesus treated him really good. And remember I told you that word that we should use words that benefit people? The word there for benefit is actually the word grace. Some translations will say that, that we should grace people. And so the image is that when we use words to build them up into what Christ has to be, we are literally pouring grace into their lives. Your words should pour grace into other people's lives. The grace of God to to them. And the word forgive, to give benefit to them, that actually carries the idea of supplying the need. It's not just you hand something over. It is In the Greek, it's the idea that they have a need for this. And you come along and you, you give them to them. It's like somebody like really, really thirsty, you know? If you, you, your neighbor's over there, they're working hard and it's sweating and they're really, really, you've got to see them, all of that. And you come over with a cold bottle of water, you are their friend, you know? Because they, they need it in that, in, in that moment. And in fact, it has the idea of you owe it to them or it's necessary to them. So get this, just when they need grace the most, your words will build them into the temple that God is creating of them. Isn't that cool? I think this is such a great verse because it just it puts us in this wonderful place. But, but let me give you the warning side. Be careful. Be careful because when you tear them down, you may find yourself tearing down what God is building up. And that's not a good place to be in. See, this is so important, so much more than just swear words. So let's do some application out of this verse. The first thing I want you to know is words have a deep emotional impact. Words aren't just, you know, math. Math doesn't, well, math has a bad emotional impact for me. But, but I mean, it's not math. Words impact people in their very being. The greatest blessings come from words. The people that encourage you at the right time. In fact, with words, you can change the trajectory of somebody's life. I had this happen a couple of times in my life where people just said the right thing at the right time. And it, it kind of, you know, one of those times was when I was in grade school and I was, I was in special education because, I, because of my ADHD. And, and I really thought I was stupid and I didn't think I'd amount to anything and anything. And, and the, the, the school superintendent from the next town over was in our church. And one day he looked at me and he said, Craig, you are smart. Don't let them tell you you're not. You can accomplish whatever God has for you. Words changed my life. He, he built me up. He, did put, he put a brick down in my life that no one else could put down. And, it, it cha- and you can do that, that as well. I, I still remember things people said to me years ago. I, I believe in you. I, I trust you. I'm going to give you a chance. In fact, there's a really good saying that I, I love. I see in you. Say, I see in you. Yeah. I see in you God's grace. I see in you smarts. I see in you potential. I see, we should all practice saying, I see in you. You go to work tomorrow, say, I see in you. And and then tell somebody something that that builds them up, that that makes them more, because you probably see it, you just don't give voice to it, you know? 
we kind of live in a culture where if you know you compliment people, it's like, oh, they're brown nosing, you know. Oh, they're trying to get something. Oh, they're we live in such a cynical word world with uh, about words and how how we use them. And and frankly, it applies on the other side as well. I know lots of retired people that are still carrying around the wounds from words said to them in childhood. And some of you know what I'm talking about. Somebody or an adolescent or somewhere. Here's the truth. Words leave a mark. You get to decide whether it's a scar or a tattoo. You know what a tattoo is? Tattoo is when you mark yourself with something you're proud of. Mark yourself with your wife's name or your kid's name or, or some symbol, your service or that sort of thing. And, and so I'm telling you, words leave a mark. And you get to decide, is it going to be a scar that they're going to struggle with? Or is it something they're going to tattoo? When Dr. Woodruff said to me, you're smart. And I actually believed him. And that changed my life. Then... People will soon forget what you say, but they will never forget how you made them feel. This is a set of words that changed my life, okay? In a time in my adolescence where I was using words in pretty destructive ways. My, I, I fight with words. I don't fight with fists. I was never good with that, but I'm really good with words. Again, I was captain of the debate team. I'm fast on my feet, and I'm very good at figuring out what a person's weakness is, and I could literally put people in tears. People will soon forget what you say. Trust me, I'm a preacher. They'll forget what you say. But they will never forget how you made them feel. And that's positive and negative as well. It it changes everything when you use words to to build them up. It it makes them want to be a part when you encourage them. They, they, They may not even remember why they like you, but they like you. And it's because you've been putting positive words into their lives. And, and in the opposite side, sometimes when you put a negative thing in their life that was so painful, they may have even forgotten what the particulars of that, but they just know they just don't like you. They just don't like you. It just, they, that, that scar that's there or that, that, that tattoo, which, which leads to this truth. Nothing can change your relationships more or faster than changing how you talk to people. If you, you don't get anything else, get this. Nothing can change your relationships more or faster than, how you, than changing how you talk to people. When you have broken relationships with people and you start monitoring how you talk to them and the negativity and the frustration and the anger, you intentionally change that and you go positive with all of that. You let go of the negative stuff and you start saying, I see in you. I see in you. Wow, you did a great job with that. Thank you so much for that. Man, that really helped me when you did that. You'll be amazed with that, dude. Besides that, when you have a broken relationship and you start talking positive to them, it'll confuse the tar out of them. I mean, it's, it's powerful how you can use words like that. And honestly, it works the other way as well. If you have a really great relationship with someone and they find out you're talking bad about them behind their back, and that'll end a relationship or a misunderstanding or you actually say something to them in a moment of frustration and you can break relationships that it'll take years to repair. People will forget what you say, but they will never forget how you made them feel. And nothing can change it quicker than the words. So now, I have to get to the part of the sermon that I do because I have to do it, okay? So um, I I love to preach the positive part of of things because I I think the positive is more attractive and that moves me. But there are parts of Scripture that are negative, that are, that are warnings. And, and when they ordained me, they got me down on my knees and gathered all kinds of pastors around me, and they lay hands on you. And one of the things they instruct us is that we must preach the whole Word of God. 
even the parts that make us uncomfortable, even the parts that are hard for people to hear. So let me say to you, out of this passage, we learn this. God's keeping track of your words. You ever said, oh, I hope no one heard that? God heard it. God heard it. Man, I hope nobody ever finds out I said that. God found out. God knows. Words said in secret, no one that you think no one will know. Words that you say, don't tell anybody, but... Words said in confidence, all of those sorts of things. One day they'll be revealed. Matthew 12, um, 36 says, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. This verse terrifies me because I've said some careless words. I, I don't know how this works, but, you know, having grown up as a child in the church, I always have this image of it. And I don't, I don't know if it's true. This is my imagination gone wild. But I just imagine that we get to the judgment, right? And all of a sudden, it's your turn, and Craig comes up, and I sit in the chair. And all of a sudden, they, it's like in a movie theater, the projector starts up, and it starts with my life. Oh, look at that little baby. Ain't he cute, you know? And it goes through, and it starts playing everything. And I just imagine that I'm sitting there, and I, and I have recall enough to go, oh, no. Oh, no, I'm about to say something. I'm, oh, no. And sure enough, there it comes. And I have to plead the grace of Christ. I have to, I've asked forgiveness for that. That's in the past. But, but it says, we will give account for every careless word. We said, be careful with this. Be careful with your words. You have such potential to bless each other. But be careful because... Well, it can be pretty tough, too. So here's what I think we can agree on. We all need to learn how to bless people with our words. Amen? Everybody for that? We can, I don't care whether you're really good at it or you're not good at it at all. We all need to learn how to do that. So here's some ideas. Number one, pray for them. When you pray for people, it is so powerful. Pray for them in private, but also tell them that you're praying for them. You have people who are not followers of Jesus, certainly pray for people in the church, but not followers of Jesus, and you say to them, hey, can I pray for you? Or I am praying for you. That's powerful. I've had people who didn't believe in God at all, and when I said, I am praying for you, that made an impact in their life because they're in a tough situation. Or sometimes I will say, can I pray for you right now? I know this feels a little awkward if you're at work and all that sort of thing. So when you do it, pray really short, you know? But man, I've had people in tough, tough situations that I just said, Lord, would you just bless and would you move into this situation? Would you heal? Would you do a powerful thing? And, and Father, we just thank you for this and we just believe this in Jesus' name. Amen. Short prayer like that. I have had people who swore to me that they did not believe in Jesus. I got done praying a short prayer like that. I'd look up and there's tears running down their eyes. Pray for them. Those are good words for people. Another one is express gratitude for them. Find a way to find something in their life and thank God for them and to thank them for that, even if it's hard. Even those people that's like, ah, I don't know about this. It's hard. Find something because everybody's made in the image of Christ. So there is something for which you can be grateful. And if there, you can't find anything, let me suggest two things to you. Number one, maybe God's put them in your life for a purpose. Maybe he's trying to teach you patience or to see good in things. So you may end up cursing the very thing that God has put in your life for good. Be careful. If nothing else, you can say, I am so thankful you're in my life. You're teaching me lots of good lessons. You don't have to tell them that it's patience and controlling your anger and controlling your words and, and, and all of that. And then uh, call out the good in them. I see in you. People you're struggling with, I, I see in you. Even people you're not sorry, I see in you. 
Everyone has good in them because, again, they're created in the image of God. Find what their talents are. Call it out. This is so important with children because it makes such a difference uh, in in our children. Call it out to, to them. And honestly, if you can't see any good in them, then maybe you're the problem. I'm just going to leave that there and go on. Okay, so what to avoid? Better yet, just shut your mouth. You're all going, pastor said, shut your mouth in in church. But this actually comes from a lesson from my favorite theologian, my mom, okay, who used to love to say, if you can't say anything nice, yeah, just shut your mouth. (laughs) It's kind of the virtue. In fact, if you think this is a little too rough, let me tell you what scripture says, okay? Whoever keeps his mouth shut and his tongue silent keeps himself out of trouble. By the way, this is really good marriage advice. Amen? For musicians would come, I'm about done here. Um, we're going to sing together. But whoever keeps his you, you do not have to respond. Just because somebody says something doesn't mean you have to respond, okay? Keep your mouth shut. In, in, in all of it. And the same applies for social media. Just keep scrolling, okay? Just keep scrolling. You don't have to get involved w- with all, all of that. Um, and then this last one here um, is uh, whoever belittles, not his last one, but whoever belittles his neighbor lacks sense, but a man of understanding remains silent. If you talk bad about your people, by the way, everybody is their neighbor, you, you don't have any sense. So the next time you find yourself talking bad about somebody, Just remind yourself, oops, I'm not being sensible there. And then um, pray for your mouth. I pray for my mouth all the time. It has been a struggle. I've grown a lot, but I I pray, Lord, guard it. And a couple of scriptures here. Lord, let my speech always be gracious. Always be gracious, filled with God's grace, seasoned with salt, which preserves and adds flavor, makes it taste good, so that I may know how I ought to answer each person. Those are the two conditions, so you know what to give, because when you get the wrong answer, it's not filled with grace usually. And then this last one. This one is a part of my prayer life personally every single day in my spiritual disciplines. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And when I started saying this, I, I focused a lot on the may the words of my mouth part of it. But I have learned over the years that the most important part is the may the meditations of my heart. Because you know where the words come, that come out of my mouth come from? They come from my heart. When I find myself harboring thoughts about people, oh, that person's a pain, and that person's really a struggle, and, and that person's causing trouble, and, and I think, okay, I'll just keep it in my heart. I won't let it out of my mouth. I won't tell anybody that. But then one day it slips. One day I find myself gossiping. One day I... And so if I can get the meditations of my heart right, then the words in my mouth come a lot easier. And so my prayer for you is that God would guard the words of your mouth and the meditations of your heart, that they would be acceptable in his sight, that we might be a people that bless people, that build them up rather than tear them down. That's the kind of church I want to go to. That's the kind of church you want to invite your friends to. It's a place where they come here and you know nobody's going to say anything bad to them. But boy, somebody might say, man, that's a really great thing you got going on there. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Let's pray this together. Let's say this out loud as a prayer, and then I'm going to pray for you. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart 
Be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Father God, thank you. Thank you for our tongues, Father, that both can be used to bless others and get us in trouble. I pray, Father, that you would help us to be a people that that use our words to build one another up and to build people up that aren't even a part of our body, Father, that we would never use words as weapons, Father, that they would, uh, our words would be filled with grace and love and mercy, Father, that we would be the kind of church, that I would be the kind of pastor, that these people would be the kind of people, Father, that use words um, to bring your kingdom, Father, that use words to make people like you in everything we do and say. And Father, we confess we can't do that on our own. We need your spirit to, to, to work in our heart, Father, that the meditations of our heart might reflect you. We love you and we thank you, Father, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.